0: Good morning. It is so good to see all of you today. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Tommy and I'm one of the pastors here at Joy. I would like to take a moment to welcome those of you who are joining us online and also say thank you to all of you for joining us live right here in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Uh, Today we are continuing a series that we have called The Boss is Away, and for the last few weeks we've been looking at that theme or that title from different aspects of life, and today we're going to be looking at it from the aspect of our work life. Now when I think about work, I think about what I do professionally, and that is being a pastor and a communicator. I've been doing this for 15 years. The last nine years have been spent right here at Joy, and this is by far the best job that I have ever had in my life, but being a pastor is not the only job that I have had. Uh, when I was younger, though, I did not work. I didn't flip burgers. I didn't do the gas station thing. I didn't do uh, many of those jobs that sometimes young people do. Um, I just stayed home, hung out with my family, and played basketball all day. Uh, life was good like that. But I did grow up learning how to work, which is very important. So uh, parents, if your kids don't have a job as they're getting older, make sure you instill in them how to work so that when they do get a job, they'll be ready for that. So I spent many days at my uncle's farm. Uh, It was a dairy farm. Uh, I helped bale hay, and I also helped take care of cows, which for those of you that have taken care of cows, you know there are some things that are kind of fun, and then there's some things that are kind of not so fun in doing that. But my time on the dairy farm uh, was very near and dear to me. I also helped my dad detail cars. Uh, he did that as kind of a side job, just a little thing to gain some extra income. And I remember as a youngster helping him with cars. And as I got older, my responsibilities increased. And one day, my dad handed me the bucket, handed me the brush, the brush and the Wesley's, and told me to take care of the tires. Now this was a major big moment for me. So I sprayed the tires with water, sprayed the Wesley's bleach white on there, and I'm scrubbing away and, and doing, you know, the best I can. And then a few moments after I was done, my dad redid all of the tires. And I stood there kind of thinking to myself, I just did that. I literally just did what you were doing. But I learned a lesson that day, and that is this. If you are going to do something... Or maybe more importantly, if you've been asked to do something, you better make sure you do a good job at it or that you do it well. And that is a lesson that I have held on to from that day forward, that if my dad asked me to do something or anyone asked me to do something, I better make sure that I do that thing well. Uh, Later on in my high school years, we actually landed an opportunity to detail the private jet's of the largest employer in my hometown. So I don't know if you've ever gone to an airport and got to walk into a hangar where private jets are, but I got to do that, and it was really fun to pretend that I was going to go for a ride. Um, We never got to go for a ride. Uh, It just stayed parked, and we got to clean it. I have told people that you haven't waxed anything in your life Unless you've waxed a $5 million jet. There's just a whole different side of working as far as waxing that amount of surface. But that was really, really fun. Uh, My summer before my senior year, I ended up having the opportunity to help a missionary build his retirement home. And that was a lot of fun. Got to learn a lot of different things about construction and all of that type of stuff. And then I ended up securing my first ever actual real job about a month before I graduated high school. And that was doing commercial flooring. Uh, My dad told me that if you want to be a pastor someday, it might be good for you to start out on your knees. And that's exactly... (laughs) That's exactly what I did, uh, working on my knees, and for that last month of high school, I just kind of did some side jobs after school was done, but my first official big week uh, happened in the beginning of June, and the job site was many hours away from home, so we spent the whole week in hotels, which I thought was fun, and I got my own hotel room, first time I ever stayed in my own hotel room by myself. And that day, Monday afternoon, I got introduced to what it was like to do tack strip on a concrete floor. And I don't know if you've ever had to lay tack strip for carpet, but it is rather gruesome if you're using it on a concrete floor. And after the work day was over, I noticed my hand, I'm left-handed, was like permanently stuck like this. I could not move my hand because I was holding the hammer so tightly and for so long and I called my parents, and I was rather emotional because my hand has never been stuck like that. And I was scared and nervous, and, and I was actually crying, a 20-year-old, and I'm, oh, no, sorry, 18-year-old, and I'm crying, saying, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. and My hand is stuck, Dad. It's stuck. And he goes, well, how is it stuck? So I explained it to him, and he says, well, then you should be able to hold the hammer tomorrow, you know, just fine. <laughs> and I said, that is not the point. That's not the point. Um, That uh, next day was June 8th of 1999 and that was a day I was absolutely convinced I wasn't going to be able to get through and obviously I got through that day. So I also um, worked for a place called Rawhide which is a Christian-based correctional program for young men that don't end up going to juvenile detention center yet. I was a residential instructor and had to, had to learn uh, principles of subject control so that if any of the young men got out of hand, I would be able to subdue them without breaking a sweat. That was kind of fun. A little nerve-wracking, though, because I was like, just behave, behave, so I don't got to do things that I don't want to do. And then we, we're enemies, you know, I don't like that. So I had to learn that. Um, I also ended up working with my dad at the company that he worked for. Uh, he, is, he at the time was there for over 20 years, and I started out working in the boring cell. Now, the boring cell is not like, well, well, you're bored all the time. That meant that we bore holes into the pieces of wood to make furniture so the furniture could be assembled together and all of that type of stuff. So my job was to go as fast as I can, which meant there were many days that I did well into the thousands of pieces in a normal day shift. But... My other responsibility was to make sure that a half-inch bit didn't go through my hand uh, because of the the speed and the repetition, and I did good at that, so you can clap for me. Um, I was very nervous about the last week before I went off to college as I thought to myself, I've made it this far. I just need to make five more days and keep all your hands. Five more days, and keep all your fingers, and uh, I was successful at that. Uh, My productivity probably went down a little bit, but I kept all my fingers, and I think the company probably appreciated that. So I did that for a while. I also, at that time, did maintenance. Um, I worked uh, maintenance at that company, and that was a very interesting job because you never knew for sure what you were going to do. You just came in the morning, and whatever problems or issues that were happening in the plant, you just kind of went off to it and did that. Eventually, I worked my way to working in the same department my dad worked at. Uh, My dad was a belt shaper, and that probably doesn't mean much to you, and I won't take the time to explain it to you. But one thing I want you to know is that my dad was literally the best in the world at doing what he was doing. Uh, There's no one better at it than him in the entire world. The problem was that not many people cared about that. So it's one thing to be the best in the world at something. It's one thing to be the best in the world at something everyone knows and appreciates. And it's one thing to be the best in the world at something that no one really cares about. And that that was the position my dad was in. And then I moved into working alongside him. Now when... Work got slow, which sometimes it does, and you're probably aware of that. Because I was the low guy in the totem pole, sometimes I got farmed out, which means I show up for work, but then I just get told, you're not going to do your actual job, you're going to do something else. And then when work starts to increase, you'll go back to your, to your normal job. So the thing that I got to do was I got to work in the yard. That means working outside. Working outside has its benefits, but it also has its not-so-good benefits. And my not-so-good benefit was the fact that this was in the middle of winter uh, in central Wisconsin. So I'm going to work in a snowmobile suit. And I spend my whole day at work with a snowmobile suit, gloves on, and a face mask on because the wind was so strong. So you might be wondering, Tommy, in a furniture plant, why are you spending time outside? What are you doing outside? So, so this is what would take place. A semi would come with a flatbed with a whole bunch of wood on pallets. And the wood, because it was in the wintertime, was frozen solid with, like, ice and snow and all of those things on it, you know, from traveling down the road and from sitting outside. So it gets delivered to the factory like that. A big forklift comes and lifts it off the the bed of the trailer and then drops it down right where I'm standing, which is uh, a building that has a roof on it but no walls. And then I was given a sledgehammer. And this is what I needed to do. I needed to take the sledgehammer and pound that hunk of wood and ice and snow as hard as I can till I could get a piece of wood loose. I would then take that piece of wood and move it to a pallet that had no wood on it. I would set it down and then stand back up, come over, grab my sledgehammer, and pound that hunk of wood and snow and ice again, loosen up a piece of wood, grab it, and set it down. So what I did is I unstacked a pallet and then restacked a pallet. The forklift would come, take that pallet into the factory, put it in the dry kilns, and then another pallet would come for me to pound with my sledgehammer. Um, You can see that, wow, Tommy, you're really skilled (laughs) in your work and your labor. Thank you very much. I got paid to do that, so, you know, whatever. And um, that was... That was a rather interesting time period for me, but I also did a paper out. Um, I also did cleaning at the church and and doing you know the sanctuary, the bathrooms, things of that nature. All in all, I know what it's like to work twelve hour shifts. I know what it's like to wake up in the dark and come home in the dark and think that you don't have a a life outside of your work. I know what it's like to be cursed at and yelled at and blamed for things that weren't my fault. I know what it's like to be ridiculed for my faith and laughed at. I know what it's like to work a dead-end job, to work next to guys who smoke all day long and drink along with it. I know what it's like to have my boss make mixed drinks while he's driving me in the vehicle to our next job site, knowing it is not good, but not knowing what to do about it. I know what it's like to be the grunt, to be the muscle, to work under a shadow. I know what it's like to have to file for unemployment, to punch a clock, and I know what it's like to be afraid to go to work. Now the reason I explain all of this to you is because it's important for me that all of you understand that I've been there. That I've been there. It's also important to me that you know that I understand that many of you are there right now. Many of you might be afraid to go to work tomorrow. Many of you are working in conditions you would rather not be working in. And if it was up to you, you would do everything you possibly could to change that, yet you're unable, at least in your mind right now, to figure out how you can actually make that happen. So we exist in in this frame of life or in this setting of mind, and then we end up reading quotes from people that lived a long time ago that says if you choose a job that you love, maybe many of you can finish this, you won't go to work a day in your life. If you choose a job you love, you won't go to work a day in your life. And here's what we're thinking. Well, if I could choose a job that I love, then for sure that would be awesome and great. But the problem is, I can't choose a job that I love. I can't choose the job that I love. What ends up resulting and happening is that we end up seeing our job as as more of a punishment than it is an opportunity. Going to work, whether that's in the morning or the afternoon or the evening or you know, some other random time of the day, we end up just feeling like, oh, because we see it as a punishment to go to work rather than an opportunity to maybe bring blessings into our own life or blessings into our family life or even to be a blessing to the company or the boss that's over us. So here's the thing I want to let you know. You can experience, you, you can, not just the person next to you, you can experience a transformation when it comes to your work environment without you ever having to change the place that you actually do work, without ever having to change the position at your job. You can actually have a transformation take place in your life without you having to make a big adjustment and moving to a different company or a different place. You can do that. Solomon, one of the wisest men ever to walk the face of the planet, potentially, arguably, maybe the wisest man to ever walk the planet, said some things that I want to bring to our attention today. He said this, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. Now, if we had to give this a scale of like 1 to 10 of how wise this guy is or not wise, we would give him like an 11 at this moment, wouldn't we? There's nothing better than for people to be happy and to, to do good or live a good life. Like, yep, praise God, that's awesome. Solomon, I'm with you 1,000%. Solomon then continues. He says this, that each of them may eat and drink. How many of you love to eat? I absolutely love to eat. I am a fan of food. I I know that there, scripturally speaking, Bible speaking, I've been told that the Bible actually describes more of hell than it does heaven. But one thing that I've been keenly aware of is that when it talks about heaven, it talks about food. I want to go there, right? I want to go there. If you can't eat, what's the point? No, I'm just kidding. I love food. But then he goes on and he says, to eat and drink. I also love to drink. Now, some of you are automatically like, Tommy drinks, Tommy drinks, Tommy drinks. I love to drink lemonade. Lemonade is like my favorite thing ever. When we go to a restaurant, I always ask, do you have a house lemonade? Meaning a lemonade that they make themselves. And if they do, I'll have pictures of it. But if they don't, generally I'll just have a water. I would love to have a whole wine cellar filled with lemonades from all over the world. Just so I could try stuff and break one open. And, you know, that would be great to me. I love to drink. So I am with Solomon here a thousand percent, and many of you are too. But he continues. He says, and find satisfaction in all their toil. And find satisfaction in all their toil. Now, there comes the issues, doesn't it? To find satisfaction in my job? To find satisfaction in the things I need to do? Are you kidding me? I'm with you with the eating and the drinking and, and the living a good life and being happy, but to find satisfaction in my job? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. You see, we all like eating and drinking, but I don't know that we all found a place where we're satisfied at our job. So we struggle with that. But Solomon doesn't stop there. He then says that this is a gift of God. He says it's literally a gift of God to find satisfaction in all your toil. Now, I'm just going to take a guess here and think that's probably a gift that many people haven't opened. Many people haven't opened, like, okay, God, you gave me a gift, thank you, but I haven't opened that one yet, because we don't see the benefit sometimes, finding satisfaction in all our toil. Much of that is because of our perspective that we have of our job. Many of us, if we were to, you know, take some uh, poll of everyone, many of us would say, I don't like my job. When it comes to my work environment, I don't like my job. Or some of us might say, I don't like how much I'm paid. How many of you would like to be paid more? All right, some of you are lying. All right. Don't we? Wouldn't we like to be paid more? Or maybe we don't like the people that we have to work with. You know the person that you would... Right? Words can't describe the feelings that you have towards that individual. It's like, I, I have found that the people that most irritate me are the people that are just like me. Sometimes the child, parents, that irritates you the most is the child that is most like you. So we have people we don't like, or maybe we don't like the hours that we have to work. So maybe you actually like your job. Maybe you appreciate how much you're paid. Maybe you even like the people that you're standing next to, but what you don't like is the hours. It's like they expect me to come in at 10 a.m.? Some of you are like, wait, Tommy, what world do you live in? 10 a.m.? They expect me to, to work 8 hours or 10 hours or 12 hours. Sometimes I have to work on the weekends. We have all of these things that we just complain about and things we're not happy about. And then we hear that we're supposed to find satisfaction in the midst of all of that. How is that even possible? When we don't like our job, we don't like how we're paid, we don't like the people we work with, And we don't like how long we have to work. I was wrestling with this question. So I decided to do what any one of us would generally do. I decided to go to Google. And I looked at Google and I typed in, how to find satisfaction at your job. How do you find satisfaction at your job? This is the top thing that Google ended up saying. It said, prioritize your personal life. Prioritize your personal life. So are you saying that finding satisfaction at my job has nothing to do with my job, but actually what I do when I'm not at work? Maybe. Maybe. It's interesting to me how one area of life ends up affecting another area of life that ends up affecting another area and another area. If we were to take a percentage of the time that we spend doing things in our life, most of us might see that we spend more time at work than we actually do awake with with our family or awake with friends at home. And now think about this. If you're not happy at work and you're angry, you're depressed, you're frustrated, and you spend the majority of your time in that environment, It may just then affect your environment at home, and it may just affect your environment and the things you actually used to enjoy doing. But Google says, hey, if you focus on your personal life and make sure that's good, then you'll maybe find some satisfaction at work. It says, seek higher income. It's like, well, duh, yeah, I'd find more satisfaction if I was making more. And then it says this unless you're making $83,000. So hopefully for all of us, if we're making $83,000, guess what? You're done. You can't ask for any more as far as Google is concerned. Uh, accept new challenges. Accept new challenges. We're so often used to just coming in to do what we're supposed to do or what we're expected to do, and then we get bored, we get irritated, get frustrated at those type of things. And what we're encouraged to do by Google is to accept new challenges, do new things. No one has ever gotten in trouble going to their boss saying, hey, is there anything more I could do? Anything more I could do? Then he says, or Google says... Demand autonomy. I had to look up what autonomy is because that's just not a word I generally use. Autonomy, in the simplest fashion, to my understanding, is you're your own boss. You get to make your own rules. You get to set your own hours. You get to do all that type of stuff. You know, I know many people that are the boss, and they aren't even satisfied. So being the boss, being able to set all of those things, set your own pay. Doesn't necessarily mean you're satisfied. Find safety and stability. If I could just find a place that gave me dental insurance. (laughs) If I could just find a place that I knew that I could I could still have a job on Tuesday, I'd be satisfied. And then be social. Be social. That doesn't necessarily mean to be a socialite at night, but to be social at work, to actually connect with the people that you're spending the majority of your time with. Get to know them. Get to know their dislikes and their likes. And like I said, you might find out they're just like you. You can go mini-golfing together and, and you know, all kinds of things. Go riding horses, stuff like that. Now, finding, or finding what Google has to say... Is, is important at times. Google has helped me out. Has Google helped any of you out before? Yes, I'm sure it has. But spiritually speaking, we would do ourselves a disservice if we didn't look into God's word to see what God has to say about this. Now, we think the Bible has all kinds of benefits, you know, relationally speaking, spiritually speaking, all kinds of benefits to help us know how to handle people, how to handle children, how to handle in-laws, how to handle all these types of situations. It also has a lot to say about how we're supposed to conduct ourselves at work. And maybe not so much how we can conduct ourselves physically, but maybe how we conduct ourselves in here. So for the remainder of our time today, we're going to look at what Scripture has to say about work. And I encourage you to pay attention because like I said earlier, you can experience a transformation in finding satisfaction at your job without ever actually needing to change your job. So here's what it says right out of the gate. Ephesians chapter 6, 5 through 8. It says servants. Servants. We could almost stop and we are going to stop right at that word, servants. There probably isn't many issues you and I face in our work environment that would not be completely changed If we approached it from the level of being a servant. You see, when we go to work, we're guilty of wanting to be served rather than being the servant. We go to work wanting to get stuff for ourselves rather than to give of ourselves. So, If you were to go to work, if I were to go to work under the impression that I need to be a servant, maybe we could have some transformation just right there. Now, I know that's easier said than done because how many of us actually truly like to be the servant? There isn't anyone that would have a job posting that says servant and have all kinds of people come and apply for it. But in many ways, as an employee, that's really what we are. It's really what we are. Continues on and says this, servants respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the Real Master Christ. Now, this works together in many ways. It's really hard to respectfully obey your earthly master, your boss, your manager, your supervisor. The the, the person that's just this much over you, which means they get more vacation, more benefits, and all that type of stuff. It's really difficult to respectfully obey them if you don't consider yourself to be a servant. If you don't consider yourself to be a servant, then why would you obey anyone? Why would you listen to anyone? You see... Physically, physically speaking, we should be the servant, but mentally speaking, we want to be the boss. And mentally speaking, because we want to be the boss, it keeps us from respectfully obeying the people that we are supposed to obey. I experienced this several years ago in a way that I will never forget. I was picked to go into a dumpster a filled dumpster, like the big long ones, the size of like a semi-trailer. And to pick out pieces of drywall and throw it out of the dumpster, like who throws stuff out of the dumpster, all right? So I was picked to do this because if the drywall stayed in the dumpster, we would have to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars more. Hey, Tommy, I got the perfect job for you. It fits right within your skill set. So I go there, and I'm standing in this dumpster. Words can't, can't describe all the things that were going on in my mind. Like, how did I land here? Lord, see your humble servant. You know, it's like, yes, Tommy, humble servant. And so I'm doing this with a terrible attitude. I don't like it, and I'm frustrated talking to God. Like, God, this, like this. How is this supposed to benefit me? How is this supposed to help me? And then it literally started to rain. I'm not saying that to just make the story better. It's raining. And then you just look, you're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. So it's raining now, and I just get more frustrated. And then a thought comes to me, a thought that I naturally wouldn't have, which generally means for me, it's God speaking to me. And this is the thought that came to me said, Tommy, someday you're going to make a mistake. Someday you're going to do something. And as a result, someone else is going to have to clean up your mess. And he said, I want you to serve today how you would want that person to serve you years down the road. That completely changed everything. You see, I, I respectfully obeyed, which meant I'm taking drywall out of a dumpster. But then I kept my mind or my eye on Christ and allowed that moment to teach me something I wouldn't have otherwise learned. So in the process of you doing things at work that you don't like or just things in life happening that you don't like, I'd encourage you to keep a mind on Christ or an eye on Christ and just be like, Lord, what would you like to teach me in this moment? Sometimes it's just, hey, life is life sometimes. But other times there's actually a a deeper thing that God might use to benefit you. And that happened to me that day. We'll continue on. It says, don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to do. Don't just do enough to get by. I see that attitude so much in the younger generations here in America. They just wanna do enough to get by. The number one job that young people are looking for is to be a YouTuber. A person that has a YouTube channel that a whole bunch of people subscribe to and then YouTube sends them money. That's the number one sought after job for young people today. Now, I think there are some people that work pretty hard at that. I think there's many other people that see that as a way to get paid a lot of money and to put very low effort into it. We have this overwhelming attitude, just get, do enough to get by. You know, in school, when you get a C, that means you pass, but what it does mean is you didn't get a B and you definitely didn't get an A. And as parents, we encourage our kids to, to, to be a little better, to do a little more, like, like there's so much further to go. Trust me, I'm happy you got to see. But you got so much more potential. But then we get into the workforce, and then this idea of of, of going above and beyond what the standard is just kind of fades away from us at times. We just stop putting all of ourselves into it because I'm going to be paid the same anyway. Go above and beyond. As a Christian, as a believer in Christ, as a follower of Christ, how you do your job is nearly the greatest witness you could be to anyone around you. How you do your job. It now goes to a kind of a comical thing to me. It says, and work with a smile on your face. It's like, you're doing all these things. You're respectfully obeying. You're taking the drywall out of the dumpster. But guess what? I want you to smile while you're doing it. It's like, this sounds like work. (laughs) Smile while I'm doing it. And in preparation for today, this thought came to me. What if we smiled on our way to work? You know, some of us probably would have a hard time getting a smile when we're at work just because they irritate me, they irritate me, they irritate me, I irritate me sometimes. But if if you start the whole process with a smile on your face on your way to work, you might maybe just a little give yourself a greater opportunity to have a smile while you are working. It's hard to get one there. It might be easier to maintain one. I was talking with one of the band members before the service and he said, sometimes you just need to bring your own happy." You can't leave all of your happiness dependent on someone or something else. Sometimes you just got to bring your own happy and smile a little bit. Then it says, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving you the orders, you're really serving God. So, keep in mind that this has nothing to do with the quality of your boss. This has nothing to do with the person you may think or not think they are. It has nothing to do with how much you should respect them. You need to respect them because they're your boss. And if that's the problem, if the issue is all there, it's like I just can't do it because of who they are, then you need to see it as being given the orders directly from Christ. And then, as a follower of Christ, our attitude towards doing that should then be changed. Should then be changed, hopefully. Now, the most ridiculous job that was ever given to me to this point is when I was helping a missionary build his retirement home. The, the house was, was, you know, the structure was all up, all of those type of things. And afterwards, we noticed that the company that we got the lumber from would have delivered more trusses than we actually needed. So there was trusses that we weren't using. And so one day, the missionary brings me outside next to the driveway and says here's what I'd like you to do I'd like you to tear apart these trusses so we can use the lumber inside the home now if you've ever seen a truss they're held together by these iron clad plate like looking things that no one it's like designed so it won't come apart that that is the idea And it's designed in such a way that if you think you're going to take it apart, at many points you should come to the realization I'm an idiot for trying to do this. Yet this was the job that was presented to me to do. So I I had my crowbar or pry bar and I had a hammer and ting, 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 ting. 45 minutes later I get a little bit of like the corner up. It's like, wow. And this just seems ridiculous to me. And after you get one off, like one side, you think, well, getting the other side is gonna be so much easier. It's not. And what I'd encourage you to do is you don't need to try to do this to see if what I'm saying is true. Just accept it as true. So then, after I get all of one side off, I gotta flip it over and then do the whole other side to get a dollar's worth of wood. A dollar's worth of a piece of two by four. Here you go. You paid me 10 hours for this piece of wood. But here's the thought that kind of came to me. If I'm being paid to do it and I'm not getting hurt by doing it, then what do I have to complain for in the first place? If the guy's gonna pay me, ting, 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 as long as I'm being productive and doing what the boss wants me to do. Most ridiculous job I ever had, but something that I learned from. It then says this, good work will get you good pay from the master, regardless of whether you are slave or free good work will get you good pay from the master. I would love to tell you this morning that the master that's being referred to there is your boss, your supervisor, the owner of the company, but the reality is that's not the master that's being referred to there. The master that's being referred to there is the master up above. It says good work will get you good pay from the master regardless of whether you're slave or free. You know, so many times we get hung up on what we've, we're getting paid and what we're getting paid and we wanna be paid what we're worth, don't we? We wanna be paid what we're worth and a thought came to me this morning and I thought about not sharing it but I'm compelled to do so and that is this, if you're paid for everything that you do, or the only thing you do is what you're paid for, you maybe just might be getting paid more than you're worth. If you only do what you're paid for, you might be getting paid too much. If we take on the heart of a servant, we'll be doing much more than is asked of us, much more than is required of us, much more than anyone could possibly ask or think. And we're going to benefit because of it. We're going to benefit because of it. That is the gift that God wants to give each and every one of us to find satisfaction in all our toil. So you don't have to change your job. As much as you want to change your boss, you don't have to change your boss. You don't have to change companies. You don't have to move. Maybe you just have to have some movement in here. Why don't you close your eyes, bow your heads. That movement for you might be taking on the attitude of a servant. Taking on the attitude of a servant. And regardless of whether you're working or you're, you're just starting to work or maybe you're retired, when it comes to the jobs and the things that you are doing, maybe, just maybe, you need to take on the heart of a servant when it comes to those things. Maybe you need to respectfully obey. Respectfully obey. Maybe you need to work with a smile on your face. Or maybe like my dad has told me, you need to take under consideration that God is the keeper of the books. You might not be getting paid what you want or what you think you deserve, but God sees it. God sees your heart. God sees your actions. And God is gonna take care of you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to spend these last few moments together. And Lord, without a show of hands, I know there are many people gathered here today that would long for some changes to happen in their work environment. God, after spending this time together, we really now, with that desire of seeing change, need to look within ourselves and accept that the change Starts with us. God, I pray that you would help us to serve. Pray that you would help us to respectfully obey. Pray that we would be able to keep our eyes on you so that regardless of who's giving us the orders, we will do them with the right heart. Lord, help us to smile. Help our smile to be contagious. Help us to work how you want us to work in your glorious and holy name. Amen.